good leadership requires ruthless self-honesty to be ruthless, but generous self-compassion. Those two things have to be paired together for, for clear and healthy leadership. And when you can be honest with yourself and compassionate with yourself, you then start to develop compassion for others. Welcome back to You Need a Counselor podcast. My name is Julie Johnson. I'm the president and founder of Heart and Solutions, a strength-based counseling agency here in Iowa. We are still offering in-office services at each of our nine locations. We're also offering over-the-phone telehealth sessions and over-the-computer telehealth sessions. So um, if you want to try counseling and you live in Iowa, anywhere in Iowa, let us know. We can get you started over the phone or over the computer. And I'm Krista Brown. I am the vice president at Heart and Solutions in charge of our behavioral health department. So we go in home, in school, in office, or telehealth right now, like Julie said, um, and work with kids ages four to 18 on different behavioral skills that the family sets together with their counselor. And this is our podcast, You Need a Counselor. So our mission is that we are designed for people curious about counseling that have barriers keeping them from experiencing the benefits of counseling. Our mission is to share stories about counseling, good, bad, and indifferent, and spread the message that everyone can benefit from mental health and behavioral health counseling services. So we post on Sunday nights at 5 p.m. And we challenge you and encourage you to batch up your laundry for the week. Don't put laundry away throughout the week. Why spread the misery throughout the week? Save it up for Sunday night. Night. Krista and I will be putting away our laundry, making outfits for the week that night at 5 p.m. Central. So go ahead and put the podcast on. That gives you the entire week to get scheduled with your counselor if you haven't seen your counselor in a while or to call up or message in and get set up with a counselor in your area. Today, we've got a very special guest and we have a very special topic that Krista and I are super, super excited about. Um, so we've got Jen Whitmer here today. Hi, Jen. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for being here. Um, so we did an episode a, a little while back that was called Your Business Needs a Counselor. Um, and, <laughs> and which brings me to Jen because Jen is a, she works with teams and works with leaders, um, being able to talk about different personalities and how different people work together in the workplace. Um, and Jen, gosh, one topic that you, that you write about and that you speak about is infectious joy. Um, <laughs> and I just love that. I think that's such a cool, uh, way to, to talk about joy. Can you tell us more about infectious joy? What is this? Well, it really comes from the fact of when I was struggling to figure out what in the world do I want to do with my life after being a teacher for 20 years, um, <laughs> I had some people that I just kept interviewing and I was like, tell me what you do. Tell me how you got here and what advice do you have for me? And one of them said, look at the golden thread of your life. What keeps coming up? What comes up in all the places and spaces that you have worked and had friendships and ministered and all those kinds of things. What keeps coming up? And one of them that kept coming up was the idea of, I can talk about really hard topics 
and hold them lightly. And that I am this joy bringer to things that most people groan at. (laughs) And they're like, oh, I don't want to talk about that. Um, And most of the time, I don't want to talk about it either. However, I've learned that the joy comes when we work through those types of things. And so that infectious joy comes from the idea of just who I am as a strength and and that's what I bring to the table is that not everything that is serious and hard has to be heavy. Some things really are, um, but we can hold things lightly. And sometimes when we hold them lightly, they're easier to solve. And so that infectious joy kind of comes from the idea that we can hold things lightly and real joy has deep roots. And sometimes those roots are formed in the dark. And so out of dark places, we can find real joy. And so I think those two things together are the infectious joy that I bring. <laughs> I love that joy under any circumstances, joy in hard times, joy in exciting times. Um, and I think there is such a dichotomy in our polite society about, uh, you know, okay, things either need to be joyful, playful and perfect and wonderful, or they've got to be serious and meaningful and important and difficult. And (laughs) I love this idea that it can be both. We all have to have hard conversations in our lives. It's so important and kind to have those hard conversations with people, uh, even though it's tempting to not have those conversations and the idea that we can still be playful in those and we can still have relationship and be building relationships during those hard conversations is just awesome. So infectious joy. I love that. I love it. It reminds me of um, this idea of being uh, unreasonably happy. Anything that happens, we we can make the decision to be unreasonably happy, which does then uh, validate the idea that like, I don't have any reason to be happy. I can be miserable if I want to. Um, (laughs) But the fact that I'm choosing to be unreasonably happy, um, I just love that. So I love this golden thread idea of bringing that joy throughout your life, no matter what happens around us, we get to control that part of it. Yes, absolutely. And so you work with teams, you work with leaders, you you work with people on their communication and their uh, their ability to connect with the people around them so that we can all uh, work together and be productive together as teams. And one way that you do that is through Enneagram, which we are so excited about. We love Enneagram. Um, So for anybody listening, Jen, will you tell us what is Enneagram? Sure. So if you're listening to this and you're like, I don't, any of what, what, yeah. are, what, are, the, yeah. what are the syllables that just came out of her mouth? Uh, the, the Enneagram is a personality framework. So you've probably, anybody listening has probably heard of Myers-Briggs and Finders or DISC or Colby, you know, or a BuzzFeed princess quiz. Those are all <laughs> personality frameworks. The one that, I, and I have used many of them before, including the princess quiz, but really the ones that are more respectable. I've worked with all of them over the years, but the one that I have found to be the most effective in not just telling us what we do and how we do it, but actually getting underneath and understanding the why, why is this motivating me? And then 
oh, I can do something about that, that developmental piece, that's the Enneagram. So it gets underneath all of the, sure, I'm, I'm an extrovert and yeah, I'm a communicator and, and, and yeah, I'm a high eye and all those things are true, but why I am that way is underneath all of that. And that's what the Enneagram reveals to us. And it can sometimes be really exposing, but at the same time, it's like that good exposure of like, oh, right. That's what's down there. Well, now I can do something about it. And Carl Jung talks about um, this idea and I'm going to mess up the quote, but basically if you don't make the subconscious conscious, you're doomed to repeat it and call it fate. And the Enneagram helps us understand what's underneath that, that subconscious piece that's driving even why we write an email the way we write it, or why I pick up the phone and say something a certain way beyond just, you know, what's polite or what's expected. There's something underneath and that's motivating us to do all of these behaviors. And when we can figure that out, then we can have this developmental option of changing it. I love that. It, you know, it speaks to the, the how versus the why really speaks to, um, you know, in our organization, we do two services, we do therapy and we do behavioral intervention. Mm-hmm. And what you're illustrating here really speaks to that because it, we talk about how therapy is the why therapy mm-hmm. is why does my child pull the dog's tail and hit his sister, right? <laughs> and, and BHIS, behavioral health intervention is what do I do with that anger instead of pull the dog's tail and hit my sister? Right. Right. So it's that change in behavior, but what, and so uh, when you're talking about um, some of the other personality uh, skills and, and measures uh, they're, they're measuring behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so this is the external stuff that we can kind of see through the things that we do. And Enneagram really measures like, why do we do it though? Because Krista and I can do the exact same thing. We can write the exact same email. We can say the exact same thing, but we do it for totally different reasons. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I talk a lot about your bus. So like we're all on a bus and we've got a bunch of passengers, but there's only one driver. And so all of the motivations underneath in the Enneagram are all on the bus with us, all of them. And we all, because we're human, want to be respected. We want to not be manipulated. We want to have security. I want to not be rejected. Like all of those things are every human has them, but in each one of us has a fear that's actually trying to drive the bus. And that's the one we have to figure out um, because that's what's controlling it. And so when we can notice that that's what's happening, then we can change, as you said, the different outlets of not pulling the dog's tail or not letting that fear control what we're doing and how we're behaving. Absolutely. I love that. There, there's a phrase that, uh, speaking about, you know, different behaviors, how do we change behavior, follow the fear. Mm -hmm. And it really is follow the fear. There's there, we are driven by either fear, resentment, or love. (laughs) Those are, those are the drivers uh, of our world. And the fear is very tempting. Like it's very easy for fear to take over. And it seems very logical. Like, of course I should listen to that. I don't want to die. Um, And so, (laughs) you know, and right. And so it's like, it, it makes so much sense. This, this idea that Enneagram is identifying what are those fears that are driving us that are going to hijack our behaviors and our thought processes. Absolutely. I love that. Okay. So tell us a little more about 
Enneagram? What is it? How does it even work? What is yeah, it? well, there are nine types uh, um, on the Enneagram. And so if you're listening to this and you're folding your laundry, um, imagine a <laughs> circle um, like a clock, but instead of 12 numbers, there are nine. And the nine is at the top in the center where the 12 would be. And so it's not exactly symmetrical. Sorry for those of you who really like that (laughs) because there's only nine numbers, but there are three groups of three, which feels very nice. (laughs) And uh, each of the, each of the nine types are motivated by a specific set of core motivations. So a core longing, that thing we're always wanting and driving for the core fear, the thing we're always running away from. There's a core message, like this deep thing we want to hear. And then there's this core weakness that I, it's kind of like the Ferris wheel that keeps coming back around again. And you're like, Oh, right. There it is again. I'm doing that same thing. And (laughs) it just keeps coming back around. And each of the nine types have a different set of those core motivations. So they're similar and they overlap. And like I said, they're all on the bus, but one of them is really driving it. So, um, I always like to start with the eights, which also throws people off, but it's because first of all, I think the eights get a bad rap, but also because they're the first ones in what's called the body center of intelligence, which is important once you dig deep into the Enneagram, but eights don't like to be manipulated or controlled. They're always wanting to protect their own vulnerability and protect others. So they can be really intense. They're often called the boss. They are big, um, big people, like big personalities and intense personalities on the Enneagram. And then we have the Enneagram nines and Enneagram nines are almost feel like the opposite. They want to merge with other people because they're always afraid of external or internal conflict. And so like conflict itself and tension and loss of connection are these deep fears of the Enneagram nine. And then Enneagram ones are always looking to perfect things because they're afraid that they're not going to be good or in alignment with what's right. This deep fear of being out of rightness. And so those three make up what we call the body center. And they're all trying to struggle with anger. Like you said, resentment, they're all trying to figure out how do I deal with anger in a way. And so the fear are pushing them um, to behaviors that may look similar or may look very, very different. (laughs) And then the next center of intelligence are the heart center, and they're dealing with shame in some way and identity. And so twos are always really wanting to be needed and wanted because they don't want to be rejected. They want to earn that love in some way. And then threes are like the walking motivational posters of the Enneagram. They're the big achievers. They're the ones who are afraid of, what if I don't have status? What if I'm not achieving something that I don't have identity and I would feel ashamed. And so they're always achieving and and going for it all the time. And they're intense, a little bit like eights, but not quite in the same way. They're more like, Oh yeah. I started an Instagram account and I got 10,000 followers and started a 10 K business. It was amazing. (laughs) That's an Enneagram three. Um, but deep down they're hustling. Like they've got an inner hustle that's hustling for their worth. That is unhealthy and hard to cope with. So I don't want to make light of that fear that they have. And then, um, Enneagram fours, the last in the heart center are these romantic individualists who are always creating space 
for emotional connection because they're deeply afraid that they are going to be emotionally isolated or somehow their emotions um, are going to disconnect from themselves or disconnect them from other people. And that other people have this thing that they don't have, like they're missing something internally. So they're always trying to create space to make sure they can find that. Uh, And so that's the heart center. And then if you move to the last third of the clock, we have the Enneagram fives in the head center and they're thinking, 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 thinking. They are deeply afraid of being incompetent and oh, like deep, deep thinkers. I used to make this joke and then it happened to me in real life (laughs) that I would say Enneagram fives are the people who have a PhD and are like, but I'm not really an expert. So you tell me. And then I had it happen in a clubhouse room. It was so funny. (laughs) I was like, oh my gosh, this is real. Um, because they're such deep thinkers and they always know there's more knowledge to, to know. And um, they are afraid of what happens if I don't know it and somebody needs it. So this is that driving fear of the five. And so sometimes they pull back because of that and have to manage their energy because if somebody needs something, then that's going to have more energy than I have to give. Mm-hmm. And then Enneagram sixes are always looking for safety and security and dealing with a lot of angst because they're preparing for the what ifs like, Oh, what if this thing could happen? What if this thing could happen? So that preparing comes from this fear of being abandoned either emotionally or physically or being blamed because Enneagram sixes are like, I told you so wait, I did. Yeah. And so they don't want to get blamed. And so they're always kind of preparing for the, the, the things that could happen. And then Enneagram sevens, the last in the head center are the enthusiastic visionaries. They're always looking for more and what's next and, and kind of planning the next big, exciting thing because they're afraid that they're going to miss out or they're going to be limited. Cause what if that one more thing is the one thing that's going to make me happy? So they're always looking for that contentedness because they're afraid if they get limited or they miss out or someone stops them from getting that next thing, then they're going to be trapped in this emotional pain of not being happy. So in that head center, they're all dealing with fear and security in some way. So we've made it all the way around the clock and I think record time. So y'all now have a PhD in the internet. All you listeners, you got it all done while doing your laundry. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll link a, uh, there's a bunch of different ways to take this quiz on or to take this measure online. So we'll, we'll link that too, so that people can uh, take it and see what they, what they are, which ones they are and which ones their friends are. We make, I make everybody take this. (laughs) (laughs) And if you're, if you want on my website, jenwitmer.com slash freebies, which I know I'm sure you'll link, but it also has a booklet that really goes through all of the things that I just said in a little bit more in depth. And it's called, why do I keep doing this? But (laughs) it's, it lists all of the core plan, the core motivations, that personality strategy, that core longing, the core desire, the core weakness, and the core message that each type wants to hear. So if they, if your listeners want something that's a little bit more um, than just this quick run around the circle, they can get that for free there too. I love that. That's awesome. Yeah, that sounds super helpful. So there's, so there's these nine different kind of styles or or drivers um, that each person has. And so uh, it sounds like learning which ones we are, and then also learning which ones the people around us uh, identify with can just really help us in relating better with other 
people or seeing where other people are coming from in the relationship. Yeah. And one of the things that I I love to talk about with people, either my individual clients or when I work with teams is that good leadership requires ruthless self-honesty to be ruthless, but generous self-compassion. Those two things have to be paired together for, for clear and healthy leadership. And when you can be honest with yourself and compassionate with yourself, you then start to develop compassion for others because you start to see, oh my gosh, if this fear of missing out is driving me in this way from that one meeting, you know, like how many other people were in that meeting and their own fears were interacting with whatever the situation was, the, the compassion just like, you don't have to work it up. <laughs> it just comes because you've started to build it in yourself and then you can be compassionate and honest with others in a way that is oriented toward growth, not sentimentality, not just like, oh yeah, that's hard, but yeah, it is really hard. And how do we, how do we grow through this, that curiosity and growth mindset? And that's so, so important when you're talking about personality types, because it can be really simple to use it as a sword or a shield. And that's never appropriate. It's never like, well, you're such a six, like, that's not okay. It's just not. So don't do that. If you know the Enneagram. Um, And it's also not okay to be like, well, I'm just a two. So this is how I am. You know, like you can, you have the power to change. That's the whole point. (laughs) We want to not make it fate and actually make some choices to move forward. I love that. Yeah, absolutely. It's not, it's not set in stone, uh, which Enneagram type we are. So we can, we might be a a one or two, and and that might be kind of our, our primary driver. But like you said in the beginning, we've got all different drivers and we can develop which drivers we listen to, if we're aware of which drivers we're naturally going to listen to. Um, so, you know, I, I like the the phrasing of temptation um, that that sometimes goes with this of, well, I'm, you know, I'm tempted to think about it in this way, or I'm tempted to do this out of this fear. Um, and so, because we want to still acknowledge that that's what my brain is doing, like my brain is doing this as we speak. And so we go, okay, my brain is doing this. And so I have this temptation to do that, but having the temptation doesn't mean that all my power is taken away. I can have the temptation and still have the power not to follow that temptation and to make a different choice. Um, And if I make a different choice, it doesn't mean that like, oh, that was an easy choice to make, or that was, you know, my natural tendency. And you're just naturally good at that. Um, It's that, no, I, my, my natural response would be this. And I'm choosing something different because I know what that natural response is. And I know what it's gotten me before, <laughs> not necessarily exactly. what I want yeah. for this time around. <laughs> yeah. One of the great things that I love about the Enneagram, we're talking about the developmental tool. Now we're getting deep into the Enneagram wedding layer cake. So we're a few layers down into the Enneagram, but there are, if you ever see an Enneagram symbol, there's all these lines in it. So there's a circle and then there's all these lines, which actually make two other shapes. And those lines have a a specific and clear meaning in the Enneagram and it's part of the development. So your core type doesn't change that, that one driver is always going to be the same, but like you said, you don't have to listen to it. And what we do as humans, we intuitively 
like, well, this isn't working. <laughs> and I'm like, so I'm going to go do something else. And like a game of shoots and ladders, you can slide down to easy behaviors, fall into the temptation. And that's one line on the Enneagram. The other line on the Enneagram is almost like climbing up the ladder. Like, no, I'm going to make this better choice. I'm going to go to this other space on the Enneagram. And the way I love this about Enneagram language, it's called integration. It's the idea that I bring this back into my own core type and integrate the healthy choices into my life. And ideally you can do that with both lines on the Enneagram. Intuitively, we know one is better for us and one isn't, but we can bring back healthy things from either one of those lines and integrate them in our life. So while that fear may still show up and you're like, oh, wait, I see you coming on here, Ferris wheel. And I know that when that happens, here are the better choices for me to make, to be healthy and compassionate and kind and have peaceful relationships. Yeah. I love that, uh, that idea of, you know, we can understand ourselves, um, and, and we can, we can, understand others, but mainly understanding ourselves helps us to understand others because we can say, okay, because of my drivers, I do these things that make no sense. And so for when somebody else does something that makes no sense, I go, well, yeah, that makes no sense to me. One, because to that person, it potentially makes no sense also because they're driven by something. Uh, but then also I'm not driven by the same thing that they are. So even if that choice exactly. makes total sense to them because they're avoid, they're running from a tiger, right? Like mm-hmm. it makes total sense to trample over all these flowers. If I'm running from a tiger, um, then, but if I don't, if I don't see the tiger, right? Because I'm yeah. not afraid of that tiger. I'm afraid of bats. Um, <laughs> then I'm like, why are you running over these flowers towards those bats? Right. So, exactly. Uh, yeah. It, it, that understanding of ourselves and knowing that, okay, this is my natural tendency. This is what I believe about the world. Um, and this is what I believe about myself. And this is what, you know, my, my driving fear is, uh, just having that awareness, bringing, like you said, bringing that to the conscious, mind so that if I decide to act on that, I'm deciding to act on that. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. It gives you agency and power. You're not just up for the whims of a, even your own fears, but even the, the situations that happen to us, we have some agency in that, that gives us that sense of peace and identity that is not easily won, but definitely worth it. I love that. So how do you determine what, what types people are? And we are, we would love for you to, to try to see if you can guess or figure out <laughs> what Chris and I are. Cause that would be. Oh, these are such hard questions. So okay. Cool. So I have a really controversial statement to make. Okay. Here's my controversial <laughs> statement. Don't take an Enneagram test. <laughs> That's my controversial statement. Here's why, because the Enneagram is so much about the deep understanding of yourself. It is a self-discovery journey. And the typing process is like the, the first few hills before you get into the mountain climb. You've got to do a little bit of that work at the beginning. Otherwise, the mountain climb becomes really, really hard. You have to do a little bit of training first. So the best type of training is really asking yourself a lot of the questions that come from well, which, what is motivating me? Which one of these fits me better than that? And the Enneagram assessments, I mean, that's just a lot to ask from a multiple choice test. (laughs) Like this really, 
it's a lot to put on the choice of a, of a, a click button. Now there are a few assessments that are better than others. And so I, as long as people are taking Enneagram assessments with the idea of this is a data point and part of my practice, like this is one exercise in the hills before I get to the mountains, then I think that's great. But just in general, it's just so easy. We want, boop, 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 blah. there you go. That's your number. That's what we want from every assessment. We, that's how our society works in, in the States and in most of the Western world. We're always looking for shortcuts. We want that. Um, but really the deep work of the Enneagram comes from slowing down, from examining, from letting it sit and settle and then percolate back up. And that can make it really challenging. So as long as people are using the assessment to kind of say, this is the beginning of my self-discovery journey, then I, I'm, I'll am i be okay with that. <laughs> and then- I love that. I, this is how we do assessments here, mental health diagnostic assessments too. We use a tool called the Vanderbilt uh, for children. Mm-hmm. And it's a multiple choice. We, we say things like, it's like a BuzzFeed quiz. <laughs> like you just, you click through. Uh, but we don't use those scores to give diagnoses. We use those answers to gather information yes. to give diagnoses. Um, and so I, I love what you're saying about this because I, I've, I've seen people take the quiz and be like, that's not me. And you know, okay, yeah. That's not my um, right? So I, I love that idea of um, of not letting that that quiz. And also when we talk about the conscious and the unconscious mind, things like writing or typing or reading or writing um, bring us right back into cognition. And now yeah. we're in our elementary school brain going, okay, an A is an up and a down and being neat mm-hmm. with our penmanship, all of that. Whereas uh, this is this is the unconscious needing to communicate. And when we do things like typing or clicking or moving might the mouse on the computer, um, we're bringing ourselves right back into our cognitive brain and we're, we're having to switch tasks. Yeah. Yeah. And one of, and that's why I think the best ways in conjunction with, you know, listening to Enneagram teachers and things like that are reading the descriptions, how much does this description, like I would rather somebody look at a list of 30 characteristics than take a 30 question test because the 30 characteristics are going to be like, Oh yeah, that's me. I didn't want you to know. (laughs) You're like, Oh wow. How did somebody read my mail? Like that wasn't what I wanted. Um, but we learn and we grow when we look at the parts of ourselves we don't like. And, and often that's what we try to keep hidden. And so when, cause we're talking about fear, nobody wants to do that. And so when you're looking at the pieces of the Enneagram, reading a description of a type, it makes it a lot easier to start to identify yourself. And most people are fairly accurate when they look at descriptions and they're like, oh yeah, that's, that's me. As long as they're in the frame of mind of being genuine and authentic and not being aspirational, they tend to find their type. Another great way to find your type is listening to Enneagram panels and podcasts. So there's a lot of, there's several podcasts out there. My favorite are um, The Road Back to You, The Enneagram Journey, Enneagram Panels, um, and Typology. Those are some of my favorites. And they just, you when you hear someone talk about how they think through the lens of their Enneagram type, you start to go, oh, 
Uh, yes, exactly. That is exactly how I think. Or you're like, I had no idea that that thought could come from someone's brain and that's not me. And so I think those, those descriptions and panels are such a great way to discover your type. And then you can start reading more and more about conflict styles and leadership styles and attachment styles and the moves and the wings and all those other components. But starting with those descriptions is really the best way to find your type. There's also, uh, there are songs composed um, yes. from the, the basis of each of these types. And really? uh, what a great way to get in touch with what your unconscious is doing. Music just cuts right through it, doesn't it? It's like it's so good. Music cuts through all the BS and it just, and so if you uh, go on and you, on, on YouTube, you can look up any, any type and, and you can find mm-hmm. music for that type. And as soon as I, now I had taken a quiz and then I read the description. I was like, oh my gosh, that's my life. Like that, <laughs> that is me. <laughs> and I was like, how did they do that? Um, but when I, when I listened to that, the music for that type, instantly I started crying. And I was like wow. walking outside, listening to it on YouTube. And I just was like bawling outside on the sidewalk. Okay. It was not cute. Um, <laughs> right? but as soon as I heard that mute, it, it, there, it's amazing how they do that. Yeah. Um, not just the lyrics, it is the, the mood of the music. It is the tones that they use. It's the chords that they, it's incredible. It was so true. So true. So, um, I, uh, the one that I know the best is sleeping at last his, his, his album called Atlas and he has all nine types. And when I was first really digging in, he started with one and, and then it took him about four years to finish all the way around. And he was like at three, when I started kind of digging in a little bit to the Enneagram and was trying to figure out, I, it took me a long time to figure out my type. It was about six months or more. And then, so then my husband was starting to get interested in finding his type. And there is a line in the song of his type that I was like, that's my husband. Like, that's it. And there was, it was perfectly and that is as we as he dug in I mean he typed himself but like (laughs) yep that's it because you hear it and you're like oh that cuts to my that cuts all the way down and you and you know it's true I love that self-diagnosis you know we know we Mm -hmm. if we're being if we're being honest with ourselves and and that is where the music, like that music does not lie. Like I can't lie to myself and say like, Ooh, I really like this pop music. Like if I don't <laughs> like a song, like I can't make myself like, it, you know? And so it's uh, music really does just cut through that. And I love that self-diagnosis part of like, you know, you know, mm-hmm. the best, yeah. which one you are. And a quiz might say that you're one, uh, but you might read that description and go like that. To, uh, I don't, care about any of that stuff right or that doesn't sound like me and that's yeah. that's okay um because you might be a totally different one and you might be doing wish fulfillment when you're reading them right or you might be like oh that sounds like a more responsible answer to give than my actual exactly. exactly um or fear can come in when we're taking those questions especially the ones that give kind of options like which one would you do and sometimes it's like neither of those uh, sounds like me, right? Um, so I think in those situations, uh, it's it's a it's a great message that um, reading the descriptions uh, can just really really help us to come to our own conclusion about which one we are. 
And well, the other part of it is, I think as much as the Enneagram is a really fun party trick, I mean, and it is a fun party trick, but the, the real joy of it is using it for change. Like, I don't want to be stuck here. I don't want to be controlled by this fear. I don't want this to drive my behavior or recognizing it is. So how do I choose a different behavior and, and make a better choice? Like those are the things that are really where it's power lies in the possibility of transformation, not in just, you know, a really good story, which is fun as much as I love it. (laughs) It's just not the end. Yeah. And the descriptions too. I mean, they give a, sometimes a really nice reframe on stuff that we have maybe not liked about ourselves. Um, So because they're so personal and especially when you were talking about um, the, the types that are kind of based in shames. Um, mm-hmm. well with shame, it's, it's all about hiding that, right. And not wanting those mm-hmm. things to come to light. And so when, um, when we think about those, those pieces that are based in shame, we can go, Oh yeah. Like I can see where some of those pieces might be pieces. We're not super excited about in ourselves, right? Or there are pieces of ourselves or reactions that we have to those thoughts and feelings and fears that we have. The reactions that we've done in the past to those to try to calm ourselves, soothe soothe ourselves, have not brought us good outcomes. And so we've got maybe, you know, either fears or resentments about those. And then, you know, some of the descriptions though really help bring a a more strength-based um, approach to some of those things that can seem like, okay, these are negative parts of my personality. Uh, when really, when you read a lot of the descriptions, you go, okay, like these are, these are certain behaviors that I do because of it that are not super helpful, but these are other behaviors that I do because of it that are really helpful and have served me a lot. One of the other things that I love about the Enneagram is that it allows for that growth and change. Like we were talking about those lines earlier, but it also allows for just us to be human. And there's this healthy space, average space and unhealthy space. And so the descriptions help you see, oh, here's what it looks like when I'm at my best. So how do I look like that? And it also just recognizes we're not always at our best. Some days we just aren't. (laughs) and, and, and we want to not live in crisis and an unhealthy space ever. I mean, not ever, but like, we want to not stay there, but there is this honoring of our humanity in here's what I look like on just, you know, the typical day, but here's when I'm at my best. And that's what I want to offer the world. And it's a, a really non-judgmental way to approach the strengths of our personality. Yeah. I feel like, you know, in a team too, when, when we know what, what types of, of people work on our team and how those types interact with each other, that can be so helpful. Um, so helpful. Kind of like reading through, you know, the relationship between this type and this type. And uh, I've done that. So Chris and I were just doing that. And uh, we've done that so many times and, then, and we go, oh my gosh, like that's, that's us. And it, it, it somehow, it makes certain conflicts or challenges between people less personal. Exactly. Because it's like, okay, that person's not doing that to me (laughs) because of like some failing of mine or because they're a horrible person. Like that's just how our types interact Interact. because I'm this way and they're this 
way. And those mm-hmm. either rub up against each other or complement each other uh, in other ways. Absolutely. And that's what I do love about using it on as a team because it helps the team be more effective. And it also, I mean, employee engagement has been not just a buzzword recently, but in the last year, specifically something that teams have like, how do we engage our employees in a remote work environment? I mean, Google that and you're going to find a thousand articles or millions. And, and what people sometimes miss, but are the really good employee engagement activities are ones that honor them as people. And so when you say, here's who you are as a person, as a human, and here's what you bring to the table, it, immediately engages employees in a way that's different than here's a Sunday bar that we can't do anymore like that. As much as I love a good Sunday bar, that's not culture. That's not employee engagement. Employee engagement is treating people like people that they have meaningful work, that they have meaningful relationships inside their working environment. It doesn't have to be a family, but it does have to be meaningful and it has to have purpose. And when you use the Enneagram to show, here's who you are as a person, here's who this person is as a person, we're going to treat you both like humans and respect each other. The Enneagram helps us see that in people, it automatically increases employee engagement. And then when you use it in respectful and kind and ways that help everybody be better. And so nobody ever on a team should make me in charge of spreadsheets. Don't ever do it. (laughs) I can, I do have the skill, please don't make me do it. And I have a friend that, I mean, Excel is like her best friend and she's super excited about the other things inside Excel. And I don't care, you know, but <laughs> I care about her, you know, but so, but that is another way to help employees. Like not only is it meaningful connecting why that spreadsheet is important is part of employee engagement, but also, Hey, this is my favorite thing. Give that to me. And that's not always possible, but it is a lot more than we think it is when we start using personality tools and start shaping a team to fill roles that match people's strengths, match people's desires and treat them as humans. And so that's one of the big employee engagement tricks. That's not really a trick, but it's effective mm-hmm. in, in using the Enneagram at work. I love that. Yeah. Cause it, I mean, the same, so, you know, we've got specific things that everybody in the agency does, right? Like that, this is, across the board, this is an expectation or a standard that this is how we do something. Mm-hmm. But I can do that thing and Krista can do that thing. And we will have totally different challenges with why it's challenging to get into the habit of doing it. Yes. And we'll have totally different motivators keeping us doing that same, that exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really like being able to you know, saying this is how we do things is just not enough. Um, mm-hmm. We need to, you know, all of our goal setting uh, processes and everything have to do with what are the barriers that mm-hmm. that this person is experiencing right. um, with this expectation, because we're all going to have barriers to every expectation. And even the easy ones that like feel like they're easy, like for certain types, those easy ones are also challenging because it's like, this is so easy. Who cares about this? Right. So it's, uh, even those have different challenges. And so being able to identify those barriers and say like, those are valid barriers, um, they're totally different than, you know, the next person's barriers. They might be totally different than my barriers, but like, I also have barriers to this. Um, and here's what they are. 
and being able to say like, it's okay to have those barriers. It doesn't mean that we're still not expected to do the thing. We are Mm -hmm. still expected to do the thing, but the way that we do the thing or the reason that we do the thing is completely personalized. And the, the supports and systems that I need to put in place so that I do the thing are totally different than the supports and structures that Krista might put in place for her. Krista will just do it. Like she, <laughs> I'm not saying Krista doesn't have barriers, but she is a person who will just be like, okay, oh, that's done. And I, <laughs> it, it is, it's true. Um, and you know, like, I don't, my brain does not function that way. Um, but it just, you know, because of that, there are, there are challenges that are specific to me for that same exact outcome. And while we're doing the same thing, and while both of our types care about being dependable and working hard and getting the stuff done that we need to get done, it's for totally different reasons. So I love that about just being, you know, we can, as an organization, we can still hold standards of care, um, we can still hold structure in place and be, you know, firm on boundaries. We can, we should be firm on boundaries. Um, and it doesn't have to be one or the other. It doesn't have to be setting standards and expectations and and holding boundaries or honoring who people are. Uh, it can be both because the, the road to being able to be successful with those standards and expectations and boundaries is being able to personalize the road to those achievements. Absolutely. Absolutely. I love that. Should we tell you what we are or do you? (laughs) I'm so curious. I would, I want to know what you are now. (laughs) (laughs) Let me, I'm kind of looking. I, so my husband, I will say my husband is a five. Uh, He's the investigator, but he's (laughs) self-diagnosed. (laughs) <laughs> but he is the investigator for sure. And he's the spreadsheet person in our, oh, yeah. Yeah. he is the budget person. He is. Yeah, absolutely. He is. Yeah. Not every five loves a spreadsheet, but they all love some kind of strategy to keep all the thoughts together. Mm. <laughs> all of them. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. Yep. He loves it. So should we tell you what we are? Do you want to? Sure. Well, since I don't know you very well, it's really hard to get back to your point. You said really early on, we can do the same thing for completely different reasons, completely different reasons. I can have a clean desk because that's the right thing to do. Or I can have a clean desk because it's the most efficient. I can have a clean desk because my brain is too scattered with all my other thoughts. Like there are all kinds of reasons why someone might want a clean desk and just because the desk is clean doesn't mean that person is a type one. And so it's really hard to tell from a quick conversation with people. And I try to make a practice of not guessing other people's Enneagram types. If you were cartoon or characters in a television show, all bets are off. And I always guess those. but real people, <laughs> I have a whole thing about the Ted Lasso characters and the Schitt's Creek characters. Oh, all, yeah. all of them. oh fun. <laughs> I want to read that. <laughs> So it, it, I mean, how cool is that? So can you tell us which of the Shits Creek characters, can you tell us who is what Enneagram type? Well, I'm pretty sure. I mean, you know, these are all just guesses, so, but I'm pretty sure Alexis is a seven. She might be a social three, but I, I feel like she's a seven. David is a four. I'm so, pretty sure about that one. So Alexis is, 
would be a seven, the enthusiast. Yes, so, that's what I think. Busy, fun-loving type, spontaneous, versatile, distractible, and scattered. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can also see her as the challenger, powerful, dominating type, self-confident, decisive, willful, and confrontational. She's too, um, not flighty, but um, she is not super worried about being vulnerable or controlled. Like that, that doesn't float into her. She's more like, okay, we're just going to make this fun. <laughs> I like but those it. two numbers are right next to each other. And so she probably has, most sevens also have a little bit of that eight in them. So that's so. that fear of missing out one. That's the fear of missing out. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that makes sense. There's also the idea of being a three of having the status and being really good at knowing what's cool and how people are reading like threes read the room really well. But her flightiness at 30 makes me go more towards seven, even though not all sevens at 30 are like that. But in in a caricature, (laughs) that is cool. I love that. What do we think David is? I think David is a four. Um, Things are very, Mm. I mean, he started out an apothecary shop. I mean, that just right there screams four and his (laughs) outfits, his, his way. He was like, I don't know how we're going to move on from this. Like the almost, it's not quite nostalgia, but he's the one that brings them back to the past a lot. And Mm. fours are oriented to the past. Um, he can be really intense, which fours can also be really intense and um, they're not typically retiring. And he is perfectly happy with all the emotions. Like we're going to experience yes. all the emotions. Yeah. <laughs> so for David, four is the individual. So sensitive, withdrawn type, expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed and temperamental. That sounds like David. <laughs> <Doesn't it? laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. What do we think Stevie is? A five? I think Stevie is a five, possibly a nine. Ah. It's hard to tell because she doesn't, she is not super, but she does kind of get interested in starting to improve herself a little bit, like in that at the end, later in the series. But there's also this, like, this is what I've done for forever. And so I'm going to keep doing it. And there's a subtype of nine that really falls into that category. Mm. So it's a little hard to tell. And she's also like fives and nines have the least amount of energy on the Enneagram. So nines have the least Ah. fives have a measured. So one of them fits her really well because she's just like reserved, pulled back. Um, she kind of goes with what other people's ideas are until she doesn't. And she's just really stubborn. That's a classic nine. Like I'm going to pretend that I'm going to do that, but really I'm just going to (laughs) not. So so Stevie could be a five, the investigator. So the intense cerebral type perceptive, innovative, secretive, and isolated. That sounds a lot like Stevie, or she could be a peacemaker, the nine. So easygoing, self-effacing type, receptive, reassuring, agreeable, and complacent until she's not. <laughs> until she's not. <laughs> no, I don't I know. Love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's, pr- that's a fun one. I like that. Um, <laughs> being able to kind of, j- and do we think that Myra is a three? I do think that she's a three. And I think that, uh, she might be a three. There are several three options there because both, um, both parents could be threes mm-hmm. and just expressing it really differently. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but one having a stronger four wing or a stronger two wing or possibly a six. Johnny might be a six. I don't know. We'll see there, but I think they're both on the three, six, nine train somewhere in there. (laughs) So three being the achiever potentially for Myra and Johnny uh, three is the success oriented, pragmatic type, adaptive, excelling, driven, and image conscious, which sounds very much like Myra. And then mm-hmm. six being the loyalist, which I could see this for Johnny. So committed, security oriented type, engaging, responsible, anxious, and suspicious. So <laughs> I, I see where you're coming from with those. I love that. Well, that's really exciting. And that's really fun to, to kind of see, uh, you know, those, those different types in, in action in different people and um, to be able to see how they interact with each other. Mm-hmm. as well. Um, because what an interesting thing to see uh, a seven in uh, Alexis, the enthusiast being paired with uh, her brother being a four, the individualist, it's right. the dynamic and they're both, there. They're both idealists. So mm. there's a lot of idealism in both of them and they both meet at one. So they both share a line with the type one. Oh. And so there's a lot of a lot of similarities in that seven, four pairing, even though they seem different. (laughs) Wow. How cool. I love that. Well, Krista, you want to say what you are? I'm a two. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I'm surrounded by twos in my life. I love it. Definitely. I love it. Twos are amazing people. Um, if you're in a counseling business, of course, we're in a counseling you're surrounded business. by a lot of twos. <laughs> we are in counseling. We are, we've got yeah. a lot of, we've got a lot of twos and we've actually got a lot of fives um, and fours in, in mm-hmm. counseling. Um, but yeah, Krista for sure. Uh, a two with a three wing. So she's got the achiever uh, vice president here, vice president at super young age. Um <laughs> achiever wing and then mine is I'm the six uh so loyalist and I've got a five wing um so it's the defender the six Mm -hmm. with a five wing um which we've got another supervisor within the organization who's the exact well we've got one that's the exact same as Cresta and one that's the exact same as as I am so um yeah but they're they're just really really awesome um tools you know and that's the thing that's what they are they're tools Mm -hmm. um they're not an end to anything they're not like a a mean they're a means to an end um which that end is understanding and the ability to be productive and work together um and uh, be able to understand each other and build healthy relationships with each other that's that's the goal Mm -hmm. um and and the types and the descriptions they're a tool towards that they're not an end in themselves. Absolutely. One of the things I talk a lot about is the idea that the Enneagram is a really great multi-tool, but you still can't build a house with a multi-tool. Like it's, it's not enough. It, I, you can say, gosh, I'm really reactive in conflict. And so the reactive types are four, sixes, and eights, and they tend to get really emotional in conflict and be reactive. And you know that. So now what do you do? Like, <laughs> 
okay, so I'm aware of that. I know that it's driven by my fear of security or my fear of being controlled or like, but now what do I do? Like there's some skills to solving conflict when you feel like that. I, you know, there's breathing techniques, there's questioning techniques, there's framing of a conflict. There's arch- like, there's all kinds of other tools. And Suzanne Stabile says the Enneagram is one of the most amazing tools, but on its own, eh. <laughs> she's like one of the most famous Enneagram teachers around right now. And, you know, and it, it only takes you so far, but it's like the foundation of everything. And when you've learned that foundation, all the other tools work better and, and they work faster and they work more efficiently because you're like, follow the fear. You're like, oh, I don't have to figure out what the fear is. I know that it's, I'm afraid of being missing out. I'm being limited. And that's why this is freaking me out right now. So what do I need to do? You know, it just goes so much faster to making healthier choices. And it makes that liminal space between stimulus and response almost feel like it grows, even though it's the same, but you know, what's happening. And so it doesn't have to be a reaction and an instinct. It can be a response and a choice. I love that. Yeah. It's like, if you're going to do a remodel on a house, you get an inspection on the house, right? Because that's a, a, you know, a 20 point inspection tells you what to do. It kind of road roadmaps for you. Where Mm -hmm. are the pitfalls? Where are the areas of focus? uh, Where are the potential risks, you know? And then that's not getting the inspection isn't redoing remodeling the house it just kind of gives you a map on on what to do there so I love that so um the other thing is that you know if you're listening to this and your counselor does not know what an Enneagram is or has not brought this up to you that's okay um I've brought this to counselors before uh as a client and said look I gotta tell you that this is my type I've played the song for them Um, and because it comes into so many of the goals that I have for myself personally, um, I need, you know, for them to be aware. And and the first step of that is for me to be aware enough of it, to be able to communicate it to somebody else, um, Mm -hmm. as, as, as a factor, right. As a road, a potential roadblock for myself to getting Mm -hmm. to those goals that I'm setting for myself in counseling. So don't feel like you, your counselor needs to bring this for it to be useful. You can do this. You can bring this to your counselor um, and establish this as a piece of uh, your goal setting as well. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you uh, were to give any advice or suggestion to somebody who's on the fence about um, even maybe just exploring these different types of uh, personality traits or, or personality styles um, and, and maybe doing some, some personal growth work on those, what suggestion might you give to somebody? I think it's always worth exploring. Often the roadblock to exploring these, there's two of them. One of them is don't put me in a box. And the other one is I'm afraid of what I'm going to find. Those are the two biggest concerns. And for putting in a box, the Enneagram is all about helping you not be a slave to your personality. This framework that we've developed as people to make sense of the world sometimes doesn't serve us well. So it doesn't actually put you in a box. It tells you where you are. And then how do you walk out of that? And then you're afraid what you're going to find there. Yeah. But then you can't do anything about it. It's like something starting to smell in the back of the closet. It's not going to go away. (laughs) It's just going to control and have a greater outsized impact on who you are and how your behavior functions until you recognize it. And being brave enough to face our own inner world is what brings great freedom. 
great freedom. And so I think that is what I recommend and, and, and just explore. Don't think, oh my gosh, I have to get a PhD in the Enneagram. I'm like, no, <laughs> just explore, see what happens, see how you start to use it. And then what happens is you're like, oh, this actually kind of works. And you want to, you want to explore more because it's effective. Yeah. I mean, I am the first one to deep dive into something that is, you know, all of the wiki down deep <laughs> of things that are fun and entertaining to me, but eventually that's not effective. It's just something that's fun. Right. But the Enneagram is something that's effective that actually brings you wholeness and peace and freedom in your life and relationships. Yeah. Yeah. I love that because it's, there is sometimes that fear of like, well, I don't want to get an inspection on this, on my house, because what if I have foundation issues? Like that's expensive. You know, we have foundation issues right now in our house. Like I don't want to know that. (laughs) I don't want to spend ugly money. Yeah. I don't want that. However, like not knowing about that doesn't mean that it's not there. I have foundation issues on this house, whether I know about it or not. Um, And so knowing about it helps me figure out which interventions I I want to try out. Exactly. Exactly. I love that. My name is Jen Whitmer and I need a counselor and I love my counselor. Awesome. Thank you so much. Jen, thank you so much for being on the show today. This has been so cool. Um, Just hearing about these different things, because I think that, you know, people either haven't heard about this tool or they've heard maybe a little bit, um, but not gotten to kind of hear how to use it as a tool towards that, that actual outcome that we care about, right? Absolutely. If it's not moving towards something we care about, then who cares? So I I love that you were able to uh, explain this to us and, and bring that uh, full circle into, you know, what are our goals? What do we care about? And how do we use this for that? Yeah. I hope that you're, I mean, if you've gotten your laundry done, come find (laughs) me on Instagram and LinkedIn. That's where I play the most. Awesome. And come say hi and tell me, Tell me you heard me here on you, counselor. We, yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jen. Um, so we'll put all of Jen's links in the show notes too. Um, so thank you so much for being here. This is great. Absolutely. Thank Thanks awesome. for having me. Awesome. So if you are in the Iowa area and you need a counselor, uh, at Heart and Solutions, all of our counselors know, have at least a working understanding of Enneagram. The great thing is that if you are on an exploration journey of figuring this out for yourself, your counselor can just ride shotgun with you. They don't need to be an expert on this. Um, they can ride shotgun as you learn more about it and as you learn more about your type. So give us a call if you're in Iowa at 800-531-4236. If you are in a different state and you want a counselor, um, definitely send us a Facebook message or send us an Instagram DM and we will find you a counselor in your zip code as well. Like Julie mentioned, we post every Sunday night at 5 p.m. Central. So save us that laundry, do your laundry while you listen to us on Sunday nights, and then we can help prepare you to call a counselor that week to get scheduled for an appointment. I'm Chris Brown. And I'm Julie Johnson, and we need a counselor. And so do you. Bye. Bye.